If you've got your Bibles with you, you can turn to uh, the book of Luke, chapter 15. Um, we're going to get going. I do apologize for my accent. Um, although it is the correct accent, I do realize that you might struggle to be able to understand it. Um, I, I've, I've worked out because I married a Kiwi. I married a Kiwi. She is preaching right now. Uh, well, probably she might be done by now, um, but at the, at the city location. And when, I, when we first met her, she was, I was the young adults pastor at a, at a church in Brisbane uh, called City Point. She came for Bible college and uh, this beautiful young Kiwi gal at New Zealand's greatest export is my wife. I've picked her up too late. Uh, so, I got the best. So anyway, so she comes across and she goes to the first day of Bible college. There's a big chapel at the start. Everyone's worshiping. And as you do, as the single very available, very handsome young adult pastor. I know. I know. Uh, anyway, it's a, and so it's I, I rock up and I'm at the back and I rock up late. Now, I was late regularly, but this was a strategically late day because I want to rock up. There's a couple of things I want to do as a young adults pastor. I want to make sure that every person feels connected, that everyone knows someone, that someone's welcomed. Also, as a single actively looking young man, I want to check out the talent, right? And so some of you are thinking, is this, is that godly to do that? Well, the Bible says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. I'm just looking for the favor of the Lord. That's all I'm looking for. And so I rock up and I'm at the back and I see this gal and she's hands lifted. I thought I love the way she worships. I'd love to worship with her. We could worship the Lord together. That'd be awesome. And so I said to one of my young adult connect group leaders, I said, make sure you go and talk with her. Now I made sure that everyone was connected. It wasn't just special treatment, although the person that I sent was special. You know what I mean? Like I'm one of my best. And so I said, go and talk with her. And this young lady by the name of Rachel goes up to this young lady who's there for the first day of Bible college, whose name is, in Australia, we would call it Rebecca. Rebecca. Everyone say Rebecca. So with an Aussie accent, Rebecca. But the problem is she doesn't have an Aussie accent. She has a Kiwi accent. And she says, hi, what's your name? My name's Rachel. What's your name? She says, my name's Rebecca. She says, Rebecca. And, and then the, the, the other girl's like, what? Sorry? She actually struggled to understand it. She said, my name's Rebecca. What? Sorry? Rebecca. And then she said, your name's Ruby? Like she didn't quite pick it up because of the thuckness of her accent. And she said, Rebecca. And so um, eventually she found out that her name was actually a biblical name, even in this lovely biblical church. And so, but because of the way that she pronounced her name, she forever and a day was known as Beaker. You know, Beaker off the Muppets. And so she got that accent. Um, that was in 1997. We married in the May of 1999. Um, I saw this young lady. And didn't just see what was on the outside, but you could see the the character. I'm looking at, going, this is a, this is a great person. And so I asked her out. Uh, she obviously said yes. She's only flesh and blood. So, um, and in 1999, um, we got married. And so I'm only a couple of months off being married for 24 years. How goes that? I just like. This crazy Aussie gets to be with New Zealand's greatest act for 20. I can't believe she stuck with me for that long. So um, she's given, no, that's a joke. 
Um, so she's given us three, uh, three champion young men. She's given us three boys. Uh, Sam is 19. He's about to turn 20. Um, Sam was with us. We're currently on a sabbatical, three months off. Uh, this time next week, I am flying to Japan for a week of snowboarding. If you're jealous, I'm happy. Um, so, uh, so at the same time, my two younger sons will be heading back to Australia. Uh, my wife will be staying with her parents. They're a part of the city church and live at uh, Hyrene. And so we're all over the place. And so, but my, my eldest had to go home to Australia after four weeks in New Zealand. I've been here for eight. He went and there was two little things he had to, he had to get to. Number one was his little business. Number two was his little girlfriend. And uh, I don't think it was in that order of priority. I think it was the other. Uh, but my 19-year-old, um, like, he's super clever. He, like, he got ducks of his school. Uh, he's doing aeronautical engineering. And uh, I can't even spell that. Right? And so, but he's a 19-year-old that knows everything. But on top of that, he thinks he knows everything. You ever met one of those 19-year-olds? Um, anyway, so it, his, the next brother is Josh. Josh is 17. And uh, so Josh is a tank. Josh is a rig. Josh is, he doesn't have to work out, but he's got big, he's big boned and he's got lots of muscle. And uh, I like to say he's the kid that was born when meat was cheap. Um, and so he is just a big, I'm hoping he turns into, hey guys on the left, it's going to be really helpful if you focus because you're distracting others. I'm actually serious. So, um, so if you focus and don't distract others, that's going to be cool. So anyway, my 17-year-old, um, he's hopefully going to play for Australia for the Wallabies in rugby because God knows we need some help, right? Um, so we don't care about rugby anymore. And my youngest is Joel. He's 14. Uh, he lives to make an entrance. I said to him maybe a couple of months ago, I said, Joel, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, I don't know. I want to be either a... Uh, a youth pastor or a comedian. I said, it's the same thing. It's the same thing, just the same sort of stuff. Anyway, that's enough about me. Uh, tell me about you. Okay, thank you for that feedback. I do appreciate it. Let's just get into the Word of God. We're going to go for it. If you're ready, uh, we're in Luke chapter 15. Um, if you haven't got a Bible, don't worry. There'll be a Christian nearby. They'll have theirs and you can read on. Uh, and if there's no Christians around, you can all read on the big one, big novelty Bible behind me. Um, we're going to read from Luke chapter 15 uh, from verse 11. And here's the pitch. Now, if you've been around church a little bit, you might have read this. You might have heard this. You might know this as the prodigal son. I'm asking you to come with fresh eyes. Perspective is a fantastic thing. Christmas recently was one of those things that highlighted it to me. Um, they say you start out in life believing in Santa then you become Santa, and then after a while, you end up just looking like Santa. And so I'm trying that, and this is my holiday beard, and I have a rule, no razor shall touch my face on holidays, and this is three months of growth, and uh, the wife doesn't like the look nor the feel, but I have a rule. These rules are rules, and I'm going to the snow next week, and you must have a snow beard. So um, now I'm really looking like Santa, um, but the perspective of Christmas really highlights this to me. You start out Christmas is more about what I get. It's more about what I eat and what I'm receiving. Um, there's friends of mine that when they still, when they get me, adults, they're all adults, they go back to mum and dad's place. I trained under their parents 
uh, as a pastor on the Sunshine Coast. They go back to mum and dad's place for Christmas. They have a rule. They start Christmas and they get on the scales. They weigh themselves at the start of Christmas at mum and dad's place. Then they eat and drink as much as possible. And at the end of the day, they weigh themselves again. And the person who's put on the most amount of, of, of kilos wins the prize. It's actually all about how much weight you can gain at Christmas Day. Um, so I don't know if I'm into that. But certainly you start in life thinking, what am I going to eat? And then what am I going to get? What am I going to get? Then you start to realize after a while, this is something I want to I actually, I don't just want to bring dodgy presents to people. And you have to start to contribute to the, to the Christmas meal. And you're hoping that, you know what you're hoping with? You're hoping when it goes onto the table, that someone at least eats something of yours. That you don't have all of your Christmas turkey left and someone else's Christmas turkey got absolutely punished. So you start off, it's all about me. Then you start to think, well, I want to contribute. And somewhere down the track, the joy is all about the contribution. The joy is all about. And so I've just found Christmas is a great, it's a great measuring stick to realize that perspective changes. And so if you've been, if you've read, if you've heard this before, this, uh, this scripture, I'm going to ask you to come with new eyes because I didn't change my life. We're going to read from verse 11. Jesus continued. What was he continuing from? Well, do your homework. You can read that later. There was a man who had two sons. Everyone say two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. It was a bit rude. Don't you get inheritance when someone dies? And he just goes, you're dead to me, dad. It's a bit rude. It's not fun, not nice. Give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Two brothers divides the property between them. Not long after that, the youngest son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. The New King James says he squandered the wealth in prodigal living. We often know this as the prodigal son. Now, prodigal means generous. It's odd because sometimes we think prodigal, if you've been around Christianity for a while, prodigal means naughty. Naughty boy. The word prodigal in the Greek means generous, and you have to put it together in this statement. He squandered his wealth in generous living. So he goes, one woman a song, let's go for it. He just goes for it, but it's wasteful. He's living the high life. Um, After he had spent everything, there was severe famine in that whole country, began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him uh, to his field to feed pigs. This is a bad day for a Jewish kid. It's a very bad day for a Jewish kid. Serving the dirtiest animal. Ceremonious. There's, this is the absolute worst day. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. This is an interesting situation because Jesus, if you read earlier in the chapter, is talking with a mixed group of people. Now, Jesus confounds everyone, and so he's got the religious turkeys that have been at church for a very long time. They've been coming for year after year after decade after decade. They've been coming to church, and along comes this young upstart and says, you're doing it wrong. But there's also, and but they don't like it, but they can't actually argue with it. And then you've got on the other side, 
you've got this other bunch who have never been invited, never been included, never been loved, never been open arms, welcome, come to church. It's never happened before. They're known as sinners. They're so good at sinning. They're known by the name. They rock up to church and they're going, this is crazy. I've never heard this before. All of the religious people used to block us and push us. And now we've been included and invited. This is ridiculous. So Jesus has got to preach to such a ragtag bunch of odd bods that you've got the religious turkeys that have been coming for decades, being the good boys and the good girls. And also you've got these people going, this is weird. I've never heard this before. No one's ever loved us like this. This story is trying to tear down the walls not just between the people in the room, but between the people in the room and those that never got into the room. The perspective changes. Jesus tells this story. It's story time with Uncle Jesus. So this poor kid, you've got the religious people going, he's no poor kid. He did the wrong thing. He deserves it. Are you kidding me? You mess around, you're going to find out. doesn't work that way, mate. Of course he's in trouble. Of course that kid. He did what to his father? That's wrong. And you've got a whole bunch of other people who have just, this is the first time I've ever been to church going, oh, the poor kid, he didn't know what he was doing. He just, you know what? He, just someone's going to, this poor kid. Because they're feeling, they've got an affinity, they kind of connect. Jesus is tearing down walls. He's trying to change the perspective. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and here I am starving to death? New King James says, when he came to himself, he realized that it was better back in dad's house. Here's the question, C3. Is it better in dad's house? When I first came to my church in Newcastle 14 years ago, I was new, so therefore everyone's new to me. I rocked up. And I'm the new senior pastor. I didn't know. No one knew me. So I rock up and I'm meeting everyone for the first time. So everyone's new, whether they're visitors or whether they've been there for decades. And so I'm there on the front door meeting people next to this person that I've just met. They're on the roster to do the welcoming. And every church has got them. God bless the volunteers. I would suggest if you want your church to go forward, volunteer to be a part of the answer. I love it when people say to me, the church should be more welcoming expecting something to happen and for them to have no responsibility. But the church isn't a building, not an organization. It's the people. I love it. Because then I can say, I'm a people, you're a people. How about we all make it more welcoming? I had one person one day say to me, I didn't like the worship. My response was, isn't it great that we weren't worshiping you? It wasn't about you. We weren't looking for your brilliant response. This person, though, was on the door come early. And as we were there at the front door, this person comes along, a little bit disheveled. And they rock up and this person on the door beside me says these words, where have you been? And I thought, some Christians need the two-fingered prayer. Ever heard of the two-fingered prayer? Come really close. Dah! Just poke them in the eyes and say, you're an idiot. I thought, how could you be that dumb and still breathe? Is it better back in... God's house? Is it better back in the house? Are we happy for them to come back? Shouldn't it be open arms and open? Isn't it come as you are? Aren't we so glad that God said that to us? Come as you are? Is it better back in dad's house or not? It's his son, he's realized I've done the wrong thing, but it's he doesn't, he doesn't even say I've done the wrong thing. He just goes, it's better back in dad's house. I have 
messed up, but he doesn't even kind of confirm that. He just goes, it's better back in dad's house. Wouldn't it be great if the people pat him off? Wouldn't it be great if the people from Tupuki to the Mount and further would go, gee, it's better back in that C3 church. It is, it's better. It's better. I tell you what, we could be that kind of community to this wider community if we had the eyes that Jesus is wanting us to have. He says, I'm going to set back to my father. I'm going to say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. I love this, especially if you read this in the New King James. I know I'm referring to it a couple of times. But in the New King James, it says he ran to his son and he fell onto his neck. Seems like to me like a UFC or a, a WWF move. Land on the neck. Doesn't say that in this translation. It says he just threw himself on him, kissed him in the piggy mess and the dirty. My son's come back like that. I'd be like, get yourself a shower, son. Get yourself a shave. Like, get yourself clean. I don't want to be a part of that. But as he comes back to his, he doesn't even get to say his stuff yet. And the dad just receives him, includes him, hugs him, says, you are loved. And the son said to him, and I, I tell you, if I was the son, this is what I would have done. I would have got my handkerchief and I would have filled it filled with chopped onions. And I would have been walking all the way back to dad. I would have been sniffing it up. I would have been making sure I've got lots because I need to let the dad needs to know I'm really sorry and I've done the wrong thing. Could you imagine? I would have come. There would have been so much tears and snot. I would have said, listen, I can imagine this is what the boy would have done. Father, I'm sinned against heaven. <laughs> and against you, I'm no longer worthy. to be called. <laughs> hey, called your son. This is, sometimes we read the Bible so sanitized. This is how it works. This is how the emotion would have been. Father's happy for him to come back, but he's like, I've messed up. I'm, not long, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So he comes in thinking it's better to be a, one of the servants around here. And he comes in thinking, I'm going to serve my way back into dad's good grace. What's the father's response? I think the father's response is weird. And I don't need to do drugs. You just need to do the Bible. This, is mess, this will mess you up right now. What's the father's response? Because I think it's weird. Because if my son came to me, and even if I didn't say, go and get yourself a shower, even if I did, yeah, we're gonna, and the son starts chatting to me and open up his heart and his tears and there's snot and his open heart. I would have responded to the son, but the father doesn't even respond to the son, the words that he said, nor the premise that he came with. Let's have a look at it. The father's response was, he turns away from the son, says to a servant, I think that's weird. I think if there was a rewrite of the Bible, I'd say to God, I don't know about that one. Oh, I don't know about this one. It's a bit odd. Would you respond to the son? No, no. He wants the son to know this is how it works. You're not serving your way back into God's good graces. You're not serving your way back into the Father's heart. You come and you're accepted and we will serve you. The person on the door that day in my church on the first day did not understand the Father's heart. Where have you been? 
surely should be replaced with, so good to see you. We've missed you. I'm so glad you've come. Whatever piggy, dirty, smelly mess you come in, we wouldn't want a church where people have to be clean before they come in. Like some, could you imagine if a fisherman thought about that? You have to be clean before you get into my boat. No, you come with your mess. You know how I know? Because you did. So did I. Some people are looking for the perfect church. If you do, don't mess it up by attending. You're going to mess that thing up. Don't do it. So you've got this situation where the father goes, this is how how we treat servants. And this is what they do. Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and his found. So they began to celebrate. There's a party. And if you look all through Luke chapter 15, you've got three different stories that Jesus is telling this ragtag bunch of people. Remember, you've got the religious and you've got the sinners. And he says, when the lost become found, we throw parties. Welcome to the kingdom of God. There's got to be more parties in church. And it seems to me, That when there's parties thrown all the way through here, there's food involved. Love it. And in this case, we're going to kill the fattened calf. Kill, like, I want to eat some meat. I'm sorry for the vegans around. God bless you. Have your mushrooms. I'm not interested. We're going to kill a fattened calf? We're going to eat it? This is my kind of religion. This is flipping awesome. This is absolutely brilliant. Let's have a feast and celebrate. You know, in all of us, there's probably a little bit of the little brother. It's messed up. Done the wrong thing. You come hoping to earn your way back into God's good graces. And if you come, if the first thing you do when you pray is repent, here's what I want to tell you today. Chill out. It's messing it up. Just stop it. There'll be people here going, you you tell me not to repent? No, no, I'm telling you to chill out for a second. We'll get to it. Because the dad goes, you you apologize all you want, but this is not, you're not accepted because of that. You're coming to a dad who loves you and who opens up his arms. I'm not coming repenting. I'm coming to relationship. It's interesting because the older brother messed it up as well. Whereas the younger brother was direct. You're dead to me, dad. I want your stuff. The older brother didn't get it either. He didn't have a relationship with his dad. How do I find that out? Because I keep on reading. The older son was in the field when he came near the house. He heard music and dancing. So we called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry. My old mate needs to give himself an uppercut. Refused to go in. His father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. Everyone say slaving. So the first one comes in saying, I'm here to serve. The second one comes in and he says, I've been slaving. How's the Freudian slip going on with these boys? They have no idea about relationship with the father. They both want his stuff and don't get the heart of the father. 
Jesus is talking to a crowd of religious turkeys that have, I've been here in my church for how many years and how come the pastor hasn't recognized my, and they're sitting there and everyone comes in and I'm going to judge them. You've got those kinds of people. It happens all the time. You've also got in church, people are coming going, will someone love me and accept me? Because there's either a little bit of older brother or a little bit of younger brother in all of us. I've been slaving for you. And yet, even though I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you've never given me even a young goat. What an odd request. Who's asking for a young goat? Who's asking for a young goat? He's comparing himself to the fanfare that's put on for the brother that was once lost and is now found, and now we're going to throw a, and you haven't even given me a young goat. And he completely forgets, if I go back to verse 12, the younger one said to the father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property among them. You've never given me a goat? No, this is what happens in Jewish custom. When there is a transference of inheritance, the oldest sibling gets twice the amount of anyone else. So if there's three kids, the inheritance is split into four, and the oldest gets a half, and the other two get a quarter. In the case that there's two kids, it's split into three, and the oldest brother gets two-thirds of the estate of this rich old man, while the younger one had a third and went off and blew that. You've never given me a young goat. I gave you two-thirds of ev- I gave you everything. The father doesn't hold anything back. But yet, it's easy to be the person going, oh, the fanfare is put on for the person who comes in first time. What about me? I've been here for years. It's all the brother syndrome. I've been slaving here. I've been serving here. And I haven't been recognized. It's interesting. It's interesting because if you come to God repenting, it'll mess you up. And if you come to God like the older brother, asking, it'll mess you up. So how does Jesus teach us how to pray? You find that in Matthew chapter 6. You can turn there or you can rest assured it's going to come up on the screen behind me. Matthew chapter 6. This is then how. Everyone say how. It's not what you should pray. Our Father, art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. If we forgive us our trespasses, we forgive those who trespass against us. This is not a temptation, but this is for evil. Thy is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. My grandfather plays dominoes better than your grandfather. Anyway, um, I added that last bit in. So it's not what you should pray. It's how. This is how you should pray. So what's the first thing that it says in this? Our Father, note, says Our Father. This is a freebie, got nothing to do with my message. It's a freebie right now. You get extra credit for tapping into this one. Our Father, doesn't say my Father. This is Our Father. We get to do this in community. All those people go, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Yeah, how long does it last? It's Our Father. If you can't do it, even God says to Adam, it's not good for man to be alone. Adam with God? And God goes, that's not good. Why? Because it's our Father. We do this in community. We love God and we, <laughs> it's, right, it's right there. We love people. Anyway, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, it doesn't mean I say, hello, hello, Jesus. Good morning, Holy Spirit. We can say that if you want with you and Benny here. And you can get onto that if you like. It's not hello. 
it's hallowed, it's holy, it's reverent, it's, I'm, my, my mind is blown that I get included. So the son, the one that did all the wrong thing can run back. You're a holy God and he doesn't have to come back trying to serve his way in. Just worship, this is relationship. I can meet with God no matter how much of a dirty, rotten scoundrel I've been, he includes me, little old me with my very thick Aussie accent. Still loves me. He still understands me here in this country. So here I am and I come to God and he accepts me. And I don't have to serve my way in. And I'm not asking. It's just come holy. I'm like, God, you make the world. I don't understand. I don't understand how people think. I'm looking at this world. I've traveled the length and breadth of this country in the last eight weeks, at least the North Island. I don't understand how people can think this all happened by accident. Are you flipping kidding me? How could you be that dumb and still breathe? There is a God. The creation shouts of a creator. And you can do that. You can speak this world into existence. And yet I can come. I get accepted. This is ridiculous. That is the deal. Holy you are God. You're amazing. I can't believe it. Holy, hallowed be your name. First thing about prayer, don't repent. Chill out, you'll get there. Don't ask, chill out, you can get there. But just come, just rock up. No matter what you've done, no matter what your online activity, no matter, no, no matter how dodgy your food was that you contributed to the Christmas meal, no matter what happened, God knows what you did last summer and still he loves you. You just rock up, holy be your name. And I come either as the older brother who's stuck and done the right thing or the younger brother who's done the wrong thing, but you just can rock up, holy be your name. And I say, God, you are God and I am not. And it continues into the second part, which says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a part of humility and submission. It's God, you are God and I am not. So I'm going to say, not my will, but yours be done. So I start with worship and connection. And then I move into, God, here's my life. Here's my everything. God, I submit to you. Let your will be done on earth. This part of earth as it is in heaven, I give you my everything. That is your start to prayer. It's not what you pray. It's how you pray. And now you're ready. Because if you come like the younger brother, serve, serve, serve. God, I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. You will think God is a hard taskmaster. Or in the accent of your campus pastors, a very hard taskmaster. I love the South Africans. We used to have a South African uh, commentator with the cricket. He put the key in the pitch. It's a very hard, fast wicket. I love the South Africans, especially my father-in-law. You'll think God's a hard taskmaster, but he's not. He's a great father. Your kingdom come, your will be done. I'm not coming asking. Because if I ask without being submitted to God, I'm asking for weird things. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. You ask amiss for your own pleasures. So I'm going to ask according to his pleasures. If I start with worship and connection, I move then to humility and submission. Now I'm ready to say, give us today our daily bread. Now ask. You're ready to ask. Ask. Go for it. Because you're not asking amiss anymore. You've now got a connection and a relationship. Ask. The Bible says, ask me for the nations and I will give it to you as your inheritance. Your father loves you, wants to lavish on every single gift. 
and forgive us our debts. It's interesting because if you come repenting to God, I've been a naughty boy, naughty girl. You rock up and you pray that way. You'll just ask for forgiveness for you. But if you wait and follow Jesus' way, this is how you should pray, you'll forgive debts as you're forgiven your debts. There's too many people still carrying unforgiveness. And you carry unforgiveness because you're not praying around forgiveness both ways. It's not just what you receive, it's what you give. And there'll be people here saying, that person doesn't deserve my forgiveness. There are some terrible things that people do to each other. Some terrible things that we do to others. You know the stats of abuse in my country and what I usually find is that your country is usually pretty similar. One in three girls by the age of 16 are sexually abused in my country. One in five boys. I would say in a sample size, this size, that's just sexual abuse, let alone everything else. And you might say, just remember, you don't know my story. You might know from my Instagram handle that I'm a part-time model, but you don't know anything else. When you don't forgive, that person is living rent-free in your head. They don't deserve forgiveness, but you deserve to go free. And Jesus paid the price so that you could go free. Now, it doesn't mean you have to let that person do it again. You can have clear boundaries, and I don't have time to go into that. You might need to be led through. You've got great campus pastors. You've got great people. You're part of a great church, and you can learn how to say, you know what, I forgive that person, and I don't need to let them do that again. That's clever life leadership. But I'm going to forgive and receive forgiveness. If you can do that, it's amazing how your perspective changes. Jesus talking to a group of religious and sinners, and all of a sudden, they're being told, you got to forgive at the same time as you're going to receive forgiveness. This is the heart of God. And you got one side going, I can't do that. And the other side going, are you kidding? They've done all that to me. I've been blocked. I've been pushed. I've been judged all of my life. I can't do that. When you can't forgive, the Bible says you don't actually understand what you've been forgiven from. The perspective changes when I don't come trying to serve my way into God's good graces. And I don't come with a sense of entitlement. I've been serving Jesus for this amount of years, so therefore I should receive. Just chill out. When I come to God realizing that he's God and I'm not, I say, God, I humble myself, let your will be done. Then I can say, God, I've got your plan for my life as my number one. And you might go, I don't have the confidence. I don't have the strength. I don't have the resources. I don't have the education. I don't have the team. How can I do that? Well, if I can submit myself to God's will, now you're ready to ask for that. There are so many things that God's called us to do to influence our world. Papa Moa needs Jesus desperately. It does. There's so many people living for their own way and it's taking them to a Christless eternity. Some people have said, how could a God who loves people send them to hell? He's not. He's giving them their own choice. So if I want Jesus on this earth, I get that in entirety in eternity, it's called heaven. If I don't want Jesus on this earth, I get that in entirety in eternity. It's called hell. 
God isn't sending people to hell. He sent his son to save them from hell. And now he's put us on planet earth. I don't live here. This time next, this time next week, I'm on a plane to Tokyo to go snowboarding for a week. I'm the classic guest preacher. Blow in, blow up, blow out. That's my deal. That's what I'm here for. And if you want to come for a bit more tonight into the city church, we're starting at 6 o'clock. You'd be more than welcome, and they're going to feed you wedges. That's a ridiculous deal. So this community, I'm not living in it. You are. You go to work. You go to school. You got family. You got neighbors. I don't. Mine are in Newcastle. I'll go back to them soon. Jesus says, you, if you'll come to the Father, you'll realize there's a great life for you. This Jesus tells all the religious people that have had the entitlement, your entitlement doesn't win you into God's good graces. Your good behavior doesn't win you into God's good graces. Says to the Younger brother that runs and does the wrong thing. You coming and apologizing? Just chill out. You can't earn your way back into this. It's God's love that you receive. Here's the last thing. Real quick. The older brother, he's got some weird statements. Here's the weirdest of his statements. He says... Verse 30, when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf. Number one, with a weird religious mindset, we won't realize it's my brother who's coming in instead of going, God, it's your son. You should be dealing with them. I realize that I've got a connection and I've got a part to play in this. But here's the weirdest thing he says. This son of yours squandered possessions on, what did he say? prostitutes? How does he know that? Before social media, how does this guy know that? There's no way of communicating with the guy. He just, is he making assumptions? It's interesting. I don't know if you know it, but they're putting together a whole bunch of the social media platforms into the same. They're putting, they're rolling them in together. There's a MySpace, Twitter and Facebook are all being conglomerated together. They're going to call it my Twitface. I don't know if you've heard, but if you air your you air your grievances on social media, it's like wetting your pants. It's true. It's that's how that's how it works. Because at first you you feel all nice and warm, but then you realise you've just made a mess and you're sitting in it. Um, he doesn't know. How does he know? Now this is where I get a little bit of preacher's license. How does he know that his brother has squandered possessions on? prostitutes. I reckon he found out where the boy's gone and he's come along. He's had a bit of a sneaky. Hid behind while his brother on the street corner pays for the services of a lady and ends up in the hotel and sneaks back home. Stands justified, knowing that his brother's the dirty sinner. 
we realize because the father divided the property between them that he's got twice the amount of resources, the young fella. Why does the father give the older brother all the resources? It's because that older brother wasn't meant to just sneak around, see what's happening, feel justified and head home. The older brother's got the resources so we can walk up to the younger brother and say, buddy, no matter how much resource you've got, I'm going to be on this street corner and I'll be waiting for you. When you find out that doesn't work, guess who's going to be waiting for you? Could you imagine if at the time that his younger brother felt like he was like, I've got to feed pigs. The older brother goes, hey, I'll feed you. I'll take care of you. You got nowhere to stay. I'll take care of you. And God has given all of us the resources that are needed for this community to be reached. Every single person. And you might just need to do it one by one. And you might be going, I don't have the resources. Remember the prayer. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Your will be done, God. Even in my brother's life, and he's doing all the wrong thing, but let your will be done. Now I get to ask. Give us today our daily bread, God. I need your resources. You might not have the confidence to be able to share the gospel. It's available in God. You might not have a whole bunch of financial resources. You got a cup of tea. You got a smile. You got some time. That's all it takes. It's all it takes. And God gave every older brother twice as much so that he could stand and say, younger brother, no matter what you do, I'll be here and I will love you. I don't have to love what you're doing, but I'm going to love you. I'll feed you. I'll encourage you. I'll include you. And no matter where you live, no matter what you do, whether you study, work, retired, whatever, God has given you the resources for someone in your world. And today, I want to pray for every person in this place that we would take that adventure with God as the greatest privilege and honor. There's people in our world that don't know Jesus. I'm not there to shove it in their face, but you better believe I'll be on the street corner. You better believe I'll feed you. You better believe I'll be there for you. You better believe that I'll be praying for you. You better believe that I will love you unconditionally no matter what the flip you've done. Come on, have it right where you're at. Just lift your hands to heaven right now. I believe that God wants to move in this place. No matter your age, no matter your stage, no matter what you're doing today, I'm believing for God to stir in someone's heart here today that he's called you. You might not have all the right words. That's okay. Just pray and ask God. You might feel lack of confidence. That's okay. Pray and ask God. God wants to move on your life and in your life. Father, I pray, Lord God, over every man, woman, and child, your grace, your strength, your might, your power in the name of Jesus. God, I thank you for your outpouring of favor and faith upon these men and women. I thank you for your, Lord God, word. I thank you for your resources. I thank you for your grace. And I pray that you would pour out in Jesus' name. Give them opportunities. Give them eyes to see, Lord God. And I thank you for all of heaven's resources on them to fulfill the Great Commission. God, I declare more invitations to church than ever before. God, more invitations to dinner than ever before. More invitations to the movies or a barbecue or a hungy or whatever. To the beach, God, I declare today, Lord God, you're moving in every heart. God, I thank you, Lord God, for open doors and open arms, Lord God, the red carpet being rolled out. Lord God, from this house, from every heart, from every life,
in the name of Jesus. And someone with faith shouted, amen. God bless you. I'm going to hand it back. Thank you.